to do the opening. Tabernacle of Praise. Good morning. Good morning, saints of the living God. Welcome to all of those of you that are here in the sanctuary this morning, those that are visiting, and those of you that are watching online. We praise God for you. You could have chosen to be any place other than this place. Welcome to 1721 Parker Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63138, where God is our Savior, and we believe that he's coming soon. We're going to ask everyone to please stand as we sing the opening song.
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it.
welcome each and every one of you to the Tabernacle of Praise this morning. Now, we came to praise the Lord, all right? So I hope you indulge me just a moment while we sing one more song. Not just us, everybody. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Come on, let's stand up on your feet. studying with Elder Lee Carroll from the book Christian Service, the last part of chapter 7, and beginning at the minister's duty. Please join us on Zoom meeting ID. Um, you can check with um, Brother Carroll for that ID number. The Central SDA Churches De-Stress and Restore. Let me back up. I do apologize. For those who are watching online, that meeting ID is 923-407-8638. Again, 923-407-8638. And the passcode is 63138. Again, 63138. The Central SDA Church's De-Stress and Restore Clinic continues 
tomorrow, October 22nd, and continuing monthly from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. It includes free upper body and hand and foot massages, foot baths, essential oil, relaxation, <coughs> and herbal teas and exercise options, as well as health seminars. I did hear from somebody that had yeah. been there before and it said it was wonderful. So if you're able to get out tomorrow, it's between 1 and 4 at the Central SVA Church. Join Sister Lakita Carroll's 12 Steps to Success program. How many want to be successful in life? All of us want to. And it's just not about money. It's not just about um, your health, but of everything that encompasses us being right with God and successful to make it into the kingdom. That program, Step 9, is tomorrow at on October 22nd at 5 p.m. So you can still go get your relaxation on and make it for the 12 Steps program. Join them on Zoom ID 824-285-8337. 824-285-8337. And the passcode is 63033-SVA Church. 63033-SVA Church. Next week, there is a suicide prevention conference. October 28th from 3 to 5 p.m. at the center of Clayton, 50 Gay Avenue, Clayton, Missouri, 63105. Again, that's next um, week, October 28th from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Join Elder Lee and Lakita Carroll for their Never Alone Suicide Prevention Program and learn how to help someone in crisis. Simply type your name, I want to save a life, to phone number 314-650-2644. Area code 314-650-2644. I want to save a life. And type how many individuals you are bringing with you. They will reserve your spot. The recipe for an eternal marriage seminar will be November 11th at the Northside SVA Church. It's sponsored by the Central States Conference Eastern Area Family Ministries Department. It's $60 per couple and contact Dr. Denise Johnson for more information. Thank you very much. Have a blessed Sabbath day. Specifically for me, 
had a loved one who attempted suicide. And I really couldn't put it in a perspective that I understood the most. The only thing that I could think of was prayer. The only thing that I could think of in my prayers is our identity. That person survived. Amen? And I continue to think about our identity. How many of you are grandparents? How many of you are siblings? Young, old, we're uncles, we're neighbors, we're community friends, we're employers, we're co-workers. Our identity is so broad. But what I realized through the situation and life experience is that no matter what I, our identity that we assume for the moment, our true identity is in Christ. You know, he says in Isaiah 43 that he called us by name, that we are his, despite what our momentarily identity might be. It might be at the moment distress, addiction. It might even well be suicidal thoughts. It might be being a parent of a, a child that has wandered off. But quickly we have to remember that our identity in Christ never changes. And that he loves us through and through. So if you want to be encouraged this morning, I ask that you come to the altar for prayer. Because that's where we can find a true security amongst all the roles and identities that we find ourselves in. None of us are struggle with, you know what burdens our hearts, you know us, Lord. When we look in the mirror, sometimes we see things.
we don't want to see. We realize things that we don't want to realize. But in you, Father, we're your children. No matter what we're going through or struggling with, you care. And Lord, you sent your son while we were yet sinners to die for our sins, to take our place. And for that, Lord, we thank you. We are humble this morning, Father, knowing that you woke us up this morning and you put a smile on our face despite what we go through day to day. You carry us throughout the week, Father God. Some of us are without lights, electricity. Some of us are without funds to care for our homes. Some of us are struggling with mental illnesses. Some of us are struggling just within ourselves, Father. And yet, you love us evermore. Father, your position never changed in our lives. So, Father, we reach out to you. And we pray, Father God, that you will heal our hearts, Father. Put our hearts on that spinning plot, Father, like the potter in the clay. Mold us to what you want us to be. Inscript on our hearts, Father, your word. That we will never forget, Father, that we are not alone in this journey. You will not only guide us, but you will hold us up, Father. Lord, we are met with so many obstacles. And this morning, Father, we're praying for those, Lord, who have lost loved ones. We're praying for the family of Pastor Valentine, Father. We pray that the angels, Lord, will soothe their hearts with warm spoken words of comfort. We know, Father, that this is temporary. As we know life will be day to day, we also know, Lord, that when you cut the clouds of glory, Father, those in Christ will rise. And that we will be able to meet up with them, Father. So, Lord, we mourn, but we don't mourn like the world. We are understanding of your word that this, too, will pass. Lord, I'm asking for a special prayer over those who we don't see in the pew. I'm praying for prayer for Sister Elaine, Sister Bowen, Dewan, and so many others, Father. I'm praying that you will lift them up, that they will go beyond their walls, Lord, that you will hold on to them, Father. I'm praying for those, the young people, Father, that we don't see in the pews. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that you will call them back home, Lord. That they too, Lord, will be in this phone. No matter where they are, Lord, I pray that you will love on them, Lord. And to let them know, Father, that they can't go too far where you can't reach them. I pray that you will remove the guilt, the shame. And that you will restore them, Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the spoken word today. Quicken the servant lips, Lord. 
that it will spill out like fire, Lord, into the listener's ears, Lord. That we will walk away from this experience knowing that we were with you, Lord. That throughout the week, Father, we know that we can climb over every mountain, that we can conquer every valley, Lord, in your name. And yet, Lord, that we can go and spread this word, this message throughout the land. Now, Lord, we are conquerors. We're not weak. We're not at despair. And at this moment, Lord, because we are so glad that you love us with an everlasting love, we're going to spend the next five to ten seconds, Lord, with a silent praise on our heart. So as the choir and as the music ceases, Lord, let us be in thought of thanksgiving because we are all in this prayer actively, Lord. For 10 seconds, Lord, let us raise your name on high in our heart. And now, let the church say, amen. 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 I'm telling you guys, y'all know those flowers are trending. Yeah, yeah, okay, taking over. I just want to say it feels so good to be here. Who says a woman can't do it? This is an all-woman thing here. The Not Lord's all women. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Almost. Okay, we, we just going to allow you to be here. But I want to say I'm so happy to see Bev. Oh, I called her, and she was, Amen. man, I would start breathing like, <sighs> and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. So I prayed a lot all week for Bev, um, thinking about her and her, and I'm so happy. I was wondering if her voice was going to be normal. And it was just really scary to me. That is normal. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. So Lee have told me that I've been saying I have to do some house cleaning, and I was wrong. I need to be doing housekeeping. So <laughs> it's in the changing. So I want to do some housekeeping today. Tomorrow is our last 12-step 12 um, meeting for this year. And we're going to be on steps 11 and 12, and it starts at 5. And we want you, if you've been participating, if you haven't, come and share with us how the Lord has blessed you this year and that you have reached your goal or you are closer to your goal. So we have that. Then next week, then, like she said, suicide prevention program is next week from, um, and it's from 4 to 6. 3 is for those who have to set up 4 to 6 is a, a suicide prevention conference for next week. Also, um, it's always sad to hear about people who have actually taken a step to die by suicide. We just want to know how to intervene in that. It doesn't mean that the person will actually not go through with it, but it does mean that we will have some tools, something in our toolbox that can help, if not just stall it for a minute or two minutes, but can help them make a different decision because we care, because we show that we care. And then we have, after that, um, 
this awesome thing called the Christmas program. I'm looking forward to it. God is really going to bless us. I know that you guys are already preparing for it already. And um, so we'll be getting everything together for that so that we can send out invitations. Next week, we're going to get a, a jump on that at the Suicide Prevention Conference. We're going to have our invitations out there Amen. for our program, right? Last week, um, we, went, we weren't here because we was at a health fair, and we ran into so many people who uh, signed up for the Suicide Prevention Conference and who is saying to us, we really need this. We really need this. So, you know, because we're covered by God's love, and our families usually may not run into this particular problem, it is a problem. It's a serious problem. Amen. And so we are God's arms, legs, feet, eyes, ears here on earth, and it's our job to share the love of Christ in whatever way we can possibly do it. Amen. So with that in mind, I just want to say thanks to um, everyone here. It's a great service. It's so awesome. It's wonderful. We got to find a way to get rid of men close your ears, <laughs> the men a little bit more often, so we can, <laughs> we can just have our own little thing going. So it's just a few of us here. But I know that there is a person out there somewhere who wants to die by suicide at this moment, or a person whose family person, loved one, just um, died unexpectedly from whatever reason. They need to hear our voices. So don't worry about who's not here. Just make your voice count. So God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. He's so worthy of praise. He just is. It doesn't matter if it's one person, two people, or 50 people. God is on the throne. Oh, yeah. He is working through us, with us, for us, ahead of us, behind us, on each side of us. God is a good God. And so today we just want to highlight our God and how he works through us by using our talents. So I just want to interview Mr. Carroll here. And he looks very, very handsome. And so I just want to say, um, Mr. Carroll, so you gave out that um, spiritual gifts inventory, correct? Yeah, we gave out the spiritual gift inventory. How many of you remember your three top talents? Y'all, you got to go back and look at it. God <laughs> gave us all talents. Go back and look at your spiritual gift inventory and remember what your three top talents are. Well, you know, sometimes, and we know this to be true, People, you know, who are telling everybody else what to do, they're not doing it themselves. So I'm just going to check in. Do you know what your three top ta talents are? Uh, <laughs> that's of course I'm I know what my three talents are. I've been using them for many years. Uh, I also have other than three talents, of course. So one is teaching, mm -hmm. word of knowledge, as well as organization or administration. And I try and use those every day, not just in church. Okay, so in church, what are you doing? Well, in church, I've been blessed to use my talents for teaching Sabbath school class. I believe since I've joined church a long time ago, I won't say how long, but I've always been a good teacher. I've always been interested in teaching. I've seemed to be pretty good. People tell me that they enjoy the classes. So uh, that's one of my talents that I've been using in teaching. And also in administration or organization, I've always been involved with planning. Organization means planning, scheduling, taking tra keeping track of resources. And I've always been involved with scheduling, planning, resources. And one of the things you got to have with an organization, do you remember in kindergarten, 
I don't know if they still do it, but they have on there plays well with others. <laughs> I've always been good at playing well with others. So that's something else that encompasses, that's encompassed in organization. All right, so since you're doing this in church, how do you use this outside of church? Well, one of the things also in church that I've done with the organization, you mentioned the uh, uh, suicide prevention conference, which is all of our churches are asked and invited to attend. So I was involved with you, of course, with organizing that with other people who helped us with the posters and the programming and who are going to be speakers. So work with that. Also, you mentioned the Thank You, Lord concert involved with that last year. And, of course, our Backpack Sabbath, which we thank everyone who participated with that. That took a lot of organization, a lot of planning. So I've used that in church. Outside of church, you know, our... Elder Kwame mentioned in Sabbath school this morning that ministry, whatever you're doing, is ministry. So you don't have to be in church to be ministering. You can minister outside of church. One of the things that I've done for outside church is the health fair that we had last week, and that was really great. It was at Forest Park. A lot of vendors there we shared with others about different things that we're doing and invited them to some other things that are happening, as well as the upcoming Suicide Prevention Conference and God has blessed in terms of organization and planning. When you go out for God, he looks out for you. Amen. So as a result of going out for God, we've been invited to become involved with 28 other churches Amen. in terms of counseling, therapy, support, Amen. encouragement. That's a witness that we have for God. Simply because of using what talents he's given me outside the church, you just never know how God's going to bless you when Amen. you use your talents for him in church as well as out of church. Amen. 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 That's beautiful. I thought I would catch him up to something, you guys. But I do want to say, like, with organization, then does that mean that we kind of acknowledge the people who have actually, you know, doing the work or something? Is that part of organization? Yeah, like I say, you have to play well with others when you're involved in organization. That includes encouraging others to uh, assist, encouraging and supporting them when they do assist, and then thanking them for assisting or being involved. It's never a one-man or one-woman show. Right. Everybody, regardless of who or what you're doing, there are people behind you supporting you, encouraging you, and assisting you, and you have to tell them, thank you, I really appreciate you. Okay, so with that, I want to say this. This is not a Lakita Carroll and Lee Carroll thing at all. VersaCare is providing funding so that we can do this. Um, Tabernacle of Praise Community Counseling Center is providing the uh, cameras and the um, um, what we call media work for this. Save Our Youth did the organizing for this. And the Women's Ministries is providing the, um, the five-hour prayer service on Sunday. We have to play well with others. And so the Lord is so good. I am so grateful and glad that you are using your talents. Let us all do our absolute best and let God take us beyond where we are. It's not up to us, but he will take you further than you ever dreamed. You only have to do what's within your reach to do and let God do the rest. One thing I wanted to add, again, if you've been missing Sabbath school, you are missing it. Yes. We talked about the fact that when Peter was walking on the water, the waves came up between him and Christ, came up between him and Jesus. And sometimes when you're thinking of using your talents in the church or out of the church, those waves of doubt start coming up between you and what God wants you to do. 
And you have to look beyond the waves, look through the waves. Don't let doubt, don't let doubters and haters get between you and what God has planned for you. He wants you to walk on water for him. And I, yes, and we'll go one more step. And that's it. I'm for real, Karen. I'm going to be over. We want to talk about that discipleship class. That's another place that I really, really enjoy being able to discuss, to understand, to change my thoughts, to grow. So we've been doing that for maybe four or five years. I don't know how many years. It's been a long time. But I feel I have really grown as a result of just consistently being able to interact with sisters and brothers about Jesus and about um, what he's shown his servant. And she is phenomenal. It's just like amazing. Like I said, a woman can do it. And you guys are proving it over and over again today. So let us um, go ahead and finish. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, they're standing there where I can see them too, right? Okay, so we're going to ask our ushers to come forward, our deaconesses to come forward today and take up our offering. Lee, you want to offer a prayer? Okay, as our ushers are coming forward to lift the morning tithe and offering, I want to remind you that stewardship is not just offering, but time, talent, and temple as well. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of returning that which you have first given to us. We ask and pray that you will give us the spirit of unselfishness. Give us the spirit of generosity to share this message, to share our time, talent, temple, and treasure for your glory and honor. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen, amen.
is missing today, so I'm not going to move around too much. I'm going to ask my grandson to get on the camera back there. He's here today, <laughs> but I'm not going I'm, I'm to try not to move around too much so that he won't have a difficult time. It's all right, trying to keep up. <laughs> but, you know, the men thought that they were going to get away from the ladies today, and that they were going to have a jolly good time, but I understand that they're going to see the, the biblical play Esther this evening. So they didn't get too far away from the ladies. So uh, <laughs> they're going to spend an evening with a very special uh, lady from the Bible. So this week, I had a conversation with Sister Beverly. Sister Beverly Stewart Anderson, and I, I see that her granddaughter is up under her arm, but I want Beverly to stand for a second. And we are so happy to have Beverly back. Beverly has been out sick. We're so happy to have her back. And Beverly is known for her beautiful singing voice. Um, she's known for her generosity and her positive attitude. You know, she coined a phrase around here, drive out negative thinking. And so I was talking to her today, and she asked me, she said, is this going to be a teaching sermon or is this going to be a feel-good sermon? And I said, well, Beverly, I've got to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm a teacher. That's what I do. But I certainly hope that there's going to be some feel-good moments in this sermon. Right, so you can decide at the end of this <laughs> which way to go. <laughs> and, I, and, and I hope that because we serve an awesome and mighty God, that you'll clap for him or praise him at the end of this, because of who he is. Uh, before I get started, I want to acknowledge some of my family members out there that have come today. Uh, again, my grandson and my sister Sandy is back in the house today. She has been out here. And I want to acknowledge my grandson's mom who is here. Stand up. <laughs> and I also see my BFF out here, Leslie. Stand up. <laughs> we met in law school, and we have been BFFs ever since. So I want to acknowledge her. And for all those family and friends that are watching online, I want to acknowledge you out there. I also want to acknowledge Officer Robert O'Kelly in the back. He's standing in as our security today. So uh, we, we want to thank him for being here for us today. Um, although we have, we have some uh, strong and mighty women in here today, so if anyone tried to come in, I, I feel comfortable that the women would handle it. <laughs> and if necessary, to bring along with him. <laughs> so <laughs> I just thank God. I just thank God. Today I'm going to tell you a story about two, two families 
two people and two, two nations and two elephants. So if you listen, you, 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 you say two elephants, yeah, two elephants. So just listen and you'll find out who those two elephants are or what those two elephants are. So first of all, we're going to go to the scriptures. Our scriptures today are found in Joshua. The first is going to be Joshua 2, verse 1. Then we're going to go to Joshua 6, verse 17 and 18. And then Joshua 7, verses 1 and 25. So uh, whatever method of Bible that you have, whether you have the written word, whether you have it on your phones or iPads, or whether you, uh, it should be on the screen here in just a moment. Um, so whether you want to read it off of the screen, um, say amen. If, you, if you're looking it up, say amen when you have it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it in your hearing. We're going to start with Joshua 2 and verse 1. some of our media team today. You're okay with reading Joshua 2 and verse 1? Okay. All right. And uh, he has a new King, King James Version, so will you stand for the reading of the Holy Word? It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the camp of Rome to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. We're going to go on to uh, Joshua 6, 17, and 18. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord in speaking of Jericho to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messenger that he sent. Now we're skipping to Joshua 7, 1, and Joshua 7, 25. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and especially the doing of his word. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. And Holy Spirit, speak, not I, but Christ. Amen. Amen. So Joshua 2 is about the story of Rahab, quote-unquote, the harlot. And I'm going to be speaking to you today for a little while from the topic, The Tales of a Prostitute and a Thief. So Rahab's story begins in Joshua chapter 3. 
two. And I'm going to give you a little bit about the background before we got to the city of Jericho, before the children of Israel got to the city of Jericho. So the children of Israel had left Egypt under the mighty hand and miracles of God 40 years earlier. And they were headed for the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. And now the distance between Egypt and Canaan was the distance between St. Louis and Kansas City. Not that great of a distance. Of course, you know, they didn't have cars. They didn't have the transportation methods that we have today. So they were traveling on foot, and a great multitude of them left Egypt. And not only did the, was it the children of Israel that left, but it was also many of the Israelites that left with, I mean, I'm sorry, many of the people of Egypt that left with them because they saw that the Lord's hand was protecting the children of Israel. So many of them decided, hey, they're not subject to the plagues and to all of the things that were going on with the Egyptians. So they joined the children of Israel in their camp. And so many of them left and went with the children of Israel. So you had this great multitude that had left Egypt with the children of Israel. But when the children of Israel had reached the borders of Canaan land, and I'm just going to say it like this, the borders of Kansas City, the edge of Kansas City, Moses had sent out 12 spies to spy out the land, which is the land of Canaan, which is the land that was on the other side of the Jordan River, west of the Jordan River. And so the spies came back, and they reported, oh, the land is a good land. It's got green pastures. It's got wonderful uh, land for our cattle and our herds to graze on. Uh, there's, you know, there's wonderful olive groves and great, great, uh, 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 what do you call them, grape arbors for grapes and wonderful fruit trees and all of that. Everything was great in the land of Canaan. But they said, there are giants in that land. They're giants. And they said, now get this, they said, and they see us as grasshoppers. Now this was something they were making up because they don't know how the people saw them. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is such that the Holy Spirit could make the inhabitants of the land of Canaan see them as greater giants than they were. So they made it up that they see us as grasshoppers, basically as little insects, you know, like we would see an ant on the ground. And so they came back and they told the, 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 the Israelite camp this story. And so even though God was telling the children of Israel to go forward, march forward on across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, the people decided, we can't do that. They're going to wipe us out. They didn't trust God enough. And so two of the spies, two of the 12 spies, which were Caleb and Joshua, they told them, no, 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 we have to trust the Lord. He's going to give us the victory. We have to trust the Lord. He will give us the victory. But the people decided, no, 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 no. We're not. We're not going to go. We're not going to do it. And at that time, Moses and Aaron were still alive. And, of course, they were telling them, we got to go. The Lord, this is what the Lord has, has told us to do. He's going to give us the victory. We have to trust him. But the people said no. They wanted to turn back. Right. So... After consulting the Lord, Moses told the people, we're going to have to turn back. God's, God's decision is that we turn back. He's going to send us to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a day for each day that the spies had, had, had spied out the land. 
a year for each day, I'm sorry, that the spies had spied out the land. And he's told them that anybody the age of 20 and over would die in the wilderness. They would never see the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they were the ones that were faithful to the Lord and had said, go ahead into the, go ahead. We got, we got to go forward. That's what the Lord has told us. The Lord will give us the land. And so the children of Israel, well, they actually disobeyed God again at that point because they said, well, we're going to go ahead and go now. We, 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 we'll, we'll do what he says now. And Moses told him, the Lord is not with you now because you disobeyed him. I've already told you what his judgment is, what his punishment is. And some of them went anyway, tried to go anyway. And, of course, they were defeated. So Moses turned them back. Now, during that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God was still with them. He led them in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He fed them manna the whole 40 years. He fed them. Their shoes and their clothes did not wear out for 40 years in the wilderness. God was with them. He was keeping them. He was leading them. But during that time, all the older generation died out. Caleb and Joshua did not die. They were as strong 40 years later as they were in the beginning. Aaron did die during that time. Moses died because he disobeyed God. At one point, God told him, the children of Israel were murmuring and complaining. They didn't have water. And the children of Israel were uh, uh, shepherds. They, they were shepherds by, by occupation. And they needed vast amounts of water to feed their, their herds and their flocks and themselves. And so... They were murmuring and complaining. They had got to a point where they didn't have enough water for themselves or their flocks. And they were murmuring and complaining. So God told Moses to go speak to a rock and water would flow out of the rock. And Moses was so angry at the people, he went and he struck the rock. And because of that, God denied him the privilege of going into the promised land. And so they were on the east side, east bank of the Jordan River, they were at the, uh, a city called Shittim, and there is where God told Moses he would not allow him to cross over into the promised land. There is where Moses gave the children of Israel instructions. He gave them warnings about serving God when they crossed over to the other side and not, not getting involved with the people of the land. Uh, he gave them his last discourse about what would happen once they crossed over into the promised land. But he died there, and God himself buried him on Mount Nebo. So now, who took over? Joshua took over the leadership of the children of Israel. And so at this point, the children of Israel were encamped on the east side of the Jordan River, like I said, at Shittim. And God began to instruct uh, Joshua about their first military campaign. Well, it's actually, I would say, actually maybe their third, because while they were on the east side of the Jordan River, um, they had two military campaigns on the east side of Jordan River, and they conquered two kings on the east side of the Jordan River, because a couple of the tribes of Israel wanted to remain on the east side of the Jordan River. So they had to conquer that territory so that they could stay there. But that was not technically the promised land, but they decided they wanted to stay there, and God allowed them to stay there. So 
God had instructed Joshua about the first military campaign on the east side of the Jordan River, which was going to be Jericho. So here's where we begin the story of Rahab the harlot. So Shidem, the town of Shidem was about six to nine miles east of the Jordan River. And Joshua had sent out these two spies to spy out the land. And he sent them out secretly. The reason he sent them out secretly was because that 38 or 40 years earlier, when the whole congregation knew about the 12 spies, the, when, the, when the report came back, it came back to the whole congregation. And that was a fiasco. I told you about that, that fiasco. So he sent the two spies out secretly so that when they came back, they only reported to him. The, the whole congregation didn't even know he had sent out spies. And when they came back, they only reported to him because he didn't want none of that, that problem that had happened before. So he sent the two spies out to spy the land. And when they came back, they only reported to him. And Jericho would be their first battle in the promised land. Now, Jericho had every, I mean, sorry, Joshua had every intention of obeying the Lord, whatever the spies came back and said. But he was a wise ruler, and he still wanted to know what he was up against. And so he, he sent the spies out. Also, God had a divine plan for the spies and Rahab to cross paths. And that could only happen if the spies went out. So the Bible tells us that the spies went into Jericho at evening. And now at evening was important because that's when the workers who worked outside the city gates were returning into the city. And so the spies thought it's a, that's a good time because we can slip into the city unnoticed because that's when people are coming in through the, through the city gates. Now, you know, these people were not dressed like the, the inhabitants of Jericho. They did not talk like them, they did not sound like them, they did not look like them. But they thought, well, we'll slip in with the people returning from the fields. And so the Bible tells us that they went to Rahab's house and they lodged there. Now, we know that God was leading them. And Rahab is forever known in the Bible as Rahab the harlot. But I actually think that Rahab had more than one occupation. Because the Bible tells us that she hid them among the flax on her roof. Now, flax at that time, and maybe even now, I'm not sure. But flax at that time was used or was the raw material for making fine linen fabric. So I believe that Rahab may have also been a seller of fine linen. Okay? So Rahab recognized the spies immediately as from the children of Israel because of their dress, because of their speech, because of everything like that. The king somehow heard about the fact that, that these two Israelites had entered the city. Don't know how. The Bible doesn't really say how he knew about them. The city itself was in a high state of uh, alarm because the people knew and the king knew that the children of Israel were encamped just a few miles away, maybe six to nine miles away. 
So they, and they knew about the victory of the other two kings that the children of Israel had gotten on the east side of the Jordan River. They knew about that. They also knew about the things that God had done for the children of Israel in Egypt and all along the way. You know, bad news travels fast. <laughs> Faster than good news. So they knew all of that. And so they heard all that. They heard all the stories. They heard all the miracles that happened in Egypt. They knew all of that. And so they had stationed lookouts all around the walls of the city. And so they knew, the king knew immediately when these men had entered the city. They knew they had gone to Rahab's house. So the king sent out some of his people to go and inquire at Rahab's house about the men. Now, the spies had no prior acquaintance with Rahab or her house or anything like that. Now, I told you I think that Rahab had more than one occupation that she, more than just a harlot, that she was a seller of fine linen. But may I suggest that Rahab might also have provided food and lodging for weary travelers. You know, her house was on the city wall and Maybe she even had a sign on the city wall that read Rahab's habitation. And so she was, she, she, you know, maybe had a bed and breakfast for weary travelers that could easily be seen with travelers traveling along the way. Maybe she did. In any event, the men went to her house for lodging. But even though the men didn't have a prior acquaintance with her, may I suggest that God did have a prior acquaintance with Rahab. And that she had heard of the God of the Israelites and that her heart had begun to yearn after such a God, a God who did these great and mighty things for his people. So when the king asked her, when the king's people went and asked her about the spies and to give up the location or information that she had about the spies, Rahab made the decision to cast her lot with the people of God. That sound like Moses to you? That sound like Moses to you? Moses made the decision to cast his lot with the people of God. So she told the king, she said, yeah, those men came by here, but they left before the closing of the city gate in the evening. But I suggest to you that instead of the men Instead of Rahab hiding the men after the king's men came, that, that as soon as they came, I believe Rahab hid the men on her roof under the flax. Because she knew, she knew that God had given the city into their hands, into the children of Israel's hands. And she knew that God was with them. And might I even suggest that, you know, the story in the Bible about the three Hebrew boys and how they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And when the king looked into the fire, he saw that fourth person walking around in the fire with them. And he recognized it to be the son of God because he had seen him in the three Hebrew boys. He had seen the character of God in the three Hebrew boys. 
Might I suggest that Rahab had seen the nature of God in these two spies. And she made the decision that she, well, she had recognized the God of heaven through the character of these men. And she made the decision that she would never give up that God. May I suggest that to you? And so she cast her lot with the people of God. So now let's deal with the elephant in the room. This is the first elephant. Rahab straight up lied to her king. She straight up lied to him. She said, they left. Yeah, they were here, but they left before the gates were, were closed, city gates were closed. Now remember, this, 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 this city had impregnable walls. I, I imagine they were like maybe even 12 feet thick. So there was no way the children of Israel could take down these walls on their own. But she told the king, they left. Yeah, they were here, but they left. Was she justified in telling that lie? Was she justified? In her mind, she was saving the lives of this, these two spies. And maybe even her life and her family's life. Because she had taken these men in and she had hidden them. And surely, if, if, if she didn't lie, these men would have been killed. And maybe her and her family for taking them in. And to most seasoned Christians, a lie is never justified. But I'm telling you, I'm so glad we serve. We serve a God who knows exactly where we are in our Christian experience and in our Christian walk. And he takes us from where we are and he leads us to where he wants us to be. I'm so glad about that. So Rahab the harlot, the maker of fine linen, and a bread and breakfast peddler, she was just getting acquainted with the God of heaven with the true God, and she had just enough faith to begin the journey with the true God, but she didn't yet have a knowledge of all of the requirements of God. So she didn't know, I don't need to lie to preserve my life or the life of the spies. She didn't know that yet. Had she had the full knowledge, she might have been like Daniel, steadfast and unmovable, but she didn't have that knowledge yet. She just knew that she had enough faith to cast her lot with the side, on the side of the children of Israel. The word of God tells us in Acts 17.30 that when we don't know and we're in ignorance, God overlooks people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he requires everyone everywhere to repent, to repent of our sins and turn to him. So, Beverly, I'm so glad that we serve a God who accepts us where we are. But he doesn't leave us where we are. He brings us from where we are to where he wants us to be, to grow in grace. And he wants us to follow where he's leading us. I'm so glad that we serve a God like that. So, now, Rahab wasn't a stupid woman. She was a very smart woman. And even though she decided to cast her lot with the children of Israel, she was a thinking woman. And so she decided to ask 
a promise of them. And she decided she wanted a, what's called a token of truth from them, from the spies. And so she asked them, she said, when your people come to destroy this city, she said, promise me that you will spare me and all my family. That was number one. And then she said, and then she said, give me a token or a pledge that you will do as I ask, that you will spare me and all my family. So the men agreed, and they, they gave her three conditions. They said, we will agree so long as you meet these three conditions. The first one was secrecy. She couldn't tell anyone that they had remained there or that they had been there or their whereabouts when they left, how they left and when they left. That was number one. Number two, they told her she had to hang a scarlet cord out her window. Now, remember when the children of Israel, the night that they left Egypt, and Moses told them, put blood on your doorposts. Because that night, the Lord was going to, the destroying angel was going to come through and kill the firstborn of everything in Egypt. But those who had the blood on their doorposts, he was not going to touch. So the spies told her to put, hang the scarlet cord out her window. And when the children of Israel came to destroy the city, they would not touch her house and whoever was in her house. Now, I got to wondering, why a red cord? And Beverly, this is another shouting moment. Because the, Jesus is the one that saves. It is the blood of Jesus that saves us. It is the blood of Jesus that saves us. So he told her to hang a red cord because it's not the children of Israel that was going to save her. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. And so I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. And I'm so thankful that we can count on the blood of Jesus to save us. And when we in faith, believe in that blood and the efficacy of it to save us. And we respond to God, and we respond to that. The Bible says that if you believe on his name, you're saved. When the Lord destroyed the earth by fire, I'm sorry, by water in Noah's time, he instructed Noah to take his family and anyone else that believed and had faith to go into the ark and they would be saved. Likewise, in our day, the end of all things is at hand. The Lord is coming back soon. Yes. And God is calling all of those, all of those who want to be saved in our day to come into the ark of safety. And that is believing in him and calling on his name to be saved. And then, because we are saved, not because it will save us, but because we are saved, we keep his commandments. So, if we believe, we will do. If we have faith, Faith without works is dead. So we have to act on that faith. Rahab acted on that faith. 
She believed the God of heaven, and she acted on that faith. And as a result of it, she was saved. And I want to just point out to you in Matthew 1, verse 5, that, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to just give you a little background, that after a period of instruction, cleansing and purification, Rahab married one of those spies. She married Salmon. He was a prince of Judah. And so then Rahab is in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. So now let's move over to Achan the thief. Story of Achan the thief. Now these two stories happen within the same time frame. Maybe within a month of each other. So Jericho, and you can go back and read the story about Jericho and what happened there. I mean, they were told to march around the city six days, quietly, all the people, with the, with the, with the priests in the front, Ark of the Covenant in the front, and they would march around silently for six days, one time, and then on the seventh day, they were to march around seven times, and on the seventh time, the priests would blow the ram's horn, the people would all shout, and the walls would come tumbling down. You know the story, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And so, They did that, Joshua obeyed, they did that. The walls came tumbling down. The Israelite army went into the city. And in Joshua 6, 17 and 18, which we read earlier, it says, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. And only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And in ye, in any wise, and ye in any wise, Keep yourselves from the accursed thing, meaning any of the things that are in the city. Least ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. So basically, none of the Israelites were supposed to take anything from the city. Everything in it was accursed. They weren't supposed to keep anything for themselves, not anything for themselves. So... And they were supposed to kill everyone, every living soul in Jericho, except for those that were in Rahab's house. So they were supposed to kill the women, the children, the infants, the pregnant women, the cattle, all the livestock, everything. They were supposed to utterly destroy Jericho. Utterly destroy Jericho. Now, I'm going to say a little bit, I'm going to say a word here about the war between Israel and Hamos. Now, I'm just going to speak. I'm going to give a little different perspective. You can take it or leave it. But I'm going to say this. We're supposed to love everyone. So don't nobody go out of here saying, well, I said, mm -mm. that's not what I'm saying here. Okay? But the word of God says, and if you put those, uh, those scriptures on the, on the, on the screen, um, the word of God says in Matthew 27, I'm going to read 22 through 25, it says, Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they, said, they all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. 
When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Now, the inspired writer says, Looking upon the smitten lamb of God, the Jews had cried, His blood be on us and on our children. That awful cry ascended to the throne of God. That sentence pronounced upon themselves was written in heaven. That prayer was heard. The blood of the Son of God was upon their children and their children's children, a perpetual curse. Terribly, it was realized in the destruction of Jerusalem. Terribly, it has been manifested in the condition of the Jewish nation for 1,800 years. A branch severed from the vine, a dead fruitless branch to be gathered up and burned from land to land throughout the world from century to century, dead, dead in trespasses and sins. And then I'm going to skip down. That was in Desire of Ages uh, 739.1 and point two. And then the blood of Christ and of the disciples whom they had put to death was upon them. And they were visited with terrible judgments. The curse of God followed them, and they were a byword and a derision to the heathen and to so-called Christians. They were degraded, shunned, and detested, as if the brand of Cain were upon them. Yet I saw that God had marvelously preserved his people and scattered them over the world, that they might be looked upon as specially visited by the curse of God. I saw that God had forsaken the Jews as a nation, but that individuals among them will yet be converted and be enabled to tear the veil from their hearts and see that the prophecy concerning them has been fulfilled. They will receive Jesus as the savior of the world and see the great sin of their nation in rejecting and crucifying him. And uh, there's one more that I would just say from spirit, that was found in early writings 213.1. And there's one more that won't be on the screen and it's in spiritual gifts 107.1. And she says that individuals among the Jews will be converted but as a nation, they are forever forsaken by God. So, let me just say this. When the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan, they were instructed by God to destroy every living thing in Jericho, including the civilians, the women, the children, the infants, the livestock, everything. So by our human understanding, they would have been considered terrorists, inhumane, subject to condemnation by the world's superpowers. But God was leading and instructing them. Hmm. When Jerusalem was destroyed, God sent a foreign king against Jerusalem to besiege it. That's when the women were eating their own children in Jerusalem. And all of it was a result of the curse that the Jewish nation called down upon themselves when they crucified Jesus. And the inspired writer indicates that this self-imposed curse upon the Jewish nation shall last until the end of the, this world. Now, these are not my words. They're the ones that self-impose this curse upon themselves. Stay with me now. Remember, and, 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 mm. 
Remember in 2 Samuel 2, 1 through 9, when King David sinned and he numbered the men of Israel? And so he was given a choice by the prophet. And he said, you can either have seven years of famine for this sin, and this came from God, seven years of famine for this sin, three months of fleeing before your enemies for this sin, or three days of plagues. David chose the plagues, which would come from God, because he said, the Lord's mercies are great. He didn't know what his enemies would do. He didn't know what famine would do to his people. But he said, the Lord's mercies are great. So he chose the plagues, three days. So my prayer about this war is that, Lord, if this is from you as a result of or fruit of this self-imposed curse against the Jewish people, because you are a God of mercy, let the end of this war come swiftly. And if this war is from the Satan, Lord, send divine aid and let the victory be swift for the Israeli people. Because I don't know which it is. I really don't know. And I don't want to pray against God's will. I don't know. So back to our story. That was just a little side note. Yeah. So at, at Jericho, again, the Lord told him to utterly destroy all the people. The Lord said with the metals, he said, the precious metals, they were supposed to be consecrated to the Lord. Now, now, mind you, the people of Jericho were idol worshipers. So some of the idols were made out of precious metals. Well, the Lord didn't want no parts of that. He told them to destroy all of the idols, whether they were metal or not, precious metals or not, destroy those. But all the other precious metals were supposed to be um, purified, which is taken through the fire, and then dedicated to the Lord for use in the service of the priests and in the Lord's house. But we go back to Joshua 7, verse 1. It says, the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, their second military campaign was at Ai. Now, Ai was about 10 miles northwest of Jericho. It had a population of approximately 12,000 people. Joshua also sent spies to spy out Ai. The spies came back and said, uh, there's not many people in, in Ai. And, they came, and the, the people of the Israelite camp, they were very jubilant and feeling very cocky and celebratory after the victory at Jericho. So they were like, eh, we don't need many people to go take Ai. They didn't consult the Lord either. They didn't consult the Lord about Ai. So they decided, eh, we'll only send out about 3,000 men to go take 12,000 people. That was their decision. But on top of that, that it wasn't, they didn't consult the Lord. They didn't know that Achan had
had stolen the accursed things from Jericho. So not only did they not consult the Lord, but the Lord was not with them. And so the battle at Ai ended in defeat. They ran from the people, and in fact, 36 of the Israelites were killed. So the whole nation, Israelite nation, suffered because of Achan and because the, the leaders didn't consult the Lord. So what, did, what exactly did Achan do, and how was he found out? Well, if we look at chapter 7, verses 14, 21, and 25, we find out in verse 14, In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. Basically, they, did a, they, they drew straws. The Lord directed them in this. So don't think that, you know, we can draw straws and get the answers to everything. That's not what this is saying. So don't think you can flip a coin and get an answer, or you can draw straws and get an answer. They were specifically directed by the Lord to do this. So they drew straws to find out which tribe was guilty. And then they continued to draw straws until they narrowed it down to which family and then which individual. It says, in the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man, that's when they were narrowing it down to the individual. And they narrowed it down to Achan. Now Achan had an opportunity while they were drawing straws, when they first drew the tribe, he had an opportunity to confess, and he didn't. Then they narrowed it down to the family. Now, a lot of us have big families. We have family reunions, we got a big family. He had a chance then to confess. Then they narrowed it down to his family. He had an opportunity to confess. Then they narrowed it down to him. So he had plenty of ample opportunity to confess his sin. And he, he didn't. Finally, when he was actually pointed out by this drawing system that the Lord was over, he said, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and I took them and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. In verse 25, and Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Now, this garment that he took was a very beautiful garment. It was woven out of gold thread. It was a garment that only kings and royalty could afford. It was embellished with wonderful uh, 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 threading. And when he saw it, he coveted it. And the steps to his sin were he saw it, he coveted it, he took it, and then he concealed it. Then he robbed God of the gold and silver. Now, I didn't do a comparison between uh, our time and how much money that would have been in our time versus what he actually took of the gold and silver. But remember that all the gold and silver that wasn't idols was supposed to go into the treasury of the Lord. 
But as a result of what he did, his whole family was lost. So, did you get that? Jericho was supposed to be, uh, all the people in Jericho were supposed to be utterly destroyed, and all of his family was utterly destroyed because of what he did. So, that's the other elephant in the room. Achan's wife and all his family died as a result of his sin. But now, I thought the word of God says in Deuteronomy 24, 16, that parents should not be put, children should not be put to death for the sins of their parents, and vice versa. So what's going on here? Why did the rest of the family get put to death for his sins? That's the other elephant in the room. But might I suggest to you that there was some collusion going on here with the family, that they knew he had taken this stuff. See, in my profession, and Leslie can attest to this, that's called aiding and abetting, okay? It doesn't matter that you didn't help commit the murder, but if you help bury the body, that's aiding and abetting. And so, he might have been the kind of man that he can't keep his mouth shut. He told his family. And he might have told them, listen, when we get settled in the, in the promised land, I got all this gold and silver, we gonna live high on the hog. Look what I got, help me bury it. And God knew, God knew whether they were guiltless or not. God is not going to put someone to death who is innocent. He's just not. He's not that kind of God. The reason why God told them to kill all the living souls in Jericho, because he had given them ample opportunity to repent of their sins, ample opportunity, and they had refused. And their cup of iniquity with God was full. God doesn't put innocent people to death. So somehow, some way, his family knew, and they aided and abetted him. And they were guilty by reason of that. So God knows the intents and purposes of every heart. He knows everything that's been said, everything that's been done, everything that you know, has been hidden from the eyes of men. And he knows who's guilty and who's not. And so Achan and his family were stoned and burned. And I'm going to just do another little side note here for our stewardship uh, leaders here. Achan died for robbing God. He robbed him of the, of the gold and silver. But some of us are guilty of robbing God every month. The tithes and offerings are to be put in the treasury of the Lord. But some of us keep it in our own pockets. Tithes and offerings kept in our own pockets are that accursed thing. 
from Jericho that we are specifically instructed to bring into the house of the Lord. And when we keep that accursed thing in our own pockets, we become that accursed thing. And so we don't enjoy the blessings of the Lord the way he wants us to. He wants us to. And some of us even say to ourselves, why are children acting like that? I know I didn't raise them to be like that. And they are enjoying the fruit of the things you bought them with the money that was the Lord's. Okay? So here Achan is. He's been caught. But much like Judas, Achan only acknowledged his sin because he was caught. There was no true sorrow for his sin. <laughs> he was caught. And you know what? He probably thought, oh, surely I'm not the only one that took something. So, you know, there was so much stuff there. I'm sure I'm not the only one. So he probably thought his retribution was going to be minimal. But the nature of a curse is that by taking of the accursed things, and in this case, things that were devoted to destruction, he became one with those things that were to be destroyed. In our case, when we keep tithes and offering in our pocket, the Bible says not only are we cursed, but we are cursed with a curse. I don't want to be in that position to be cursed with a curse. I never want to be in that position. So here we are, these two stories. Rahab was a woman of ill repute, living in a heathen land, but because of her faith and her works, after her faith, her actions, she and her family were saved while her nation was lost, but she gained citizenship into the tribe of Judah. Achan, who was a member of the tribe of Judah from the get-go, who was well acquainted with the Lord and his requirements and his doings, but because of his actions, this individual and his family were lost. He lost his citizenship in the tribe of Judah, but his nation was saved. So we have, what do we take away from these stories? Number one, God does not sanction sin. Remember Rahab lied. God does not sanction sin, but he is merciful and abundantly gracious to those who are truly seeking to know him and abide in him. That's number one. Number two, God demands strict obedience. We're talking about Achan here. God demands strict obedience. No compromise, no second guessing, no human reasoning. And even though Moses got his instructions directly from the Lord, and perhaps Joshua did too, Moses Moses one-on-one, face-to-face with God, the word of God contains everything that we need in order to make it into the kingdom. And although sometimes we may think that our specific situation that's going on in our lives is not in the Bible, the Bible contains principles for daily living. 
And so that's why we need to study the Bible for ourselves so that we know the principles, so that we are guided by the principles of the word of God. And then there's prayer, which puts us directly in communion with God. And every time we pray, do you know that we are taken up to the throne of God and that God stops everything for us and God can hear every prayer everywhere all at once and he can be attentive to every, every prayer everywhere all at once. And that because God and his throne are eternal, every time we do that, we are taken into the presence of eternity. So the more you pray, the more you enter into eternity. The third thing is that no sin is greater than God's willingness to forgive. Remember, Rahab was known as the harlot, but she became a hero of faith in the bloodline of Christ. So no sin is greater than God's willingness to forgive it. So nobody has to be standing outside the gates of the holy city when Jesus returns. No one has to be. It is by choice. Achan made the choice not to repent. Judas made the choice not to repent until caught. None of us has to get to that point. It would be a shame that if we have secret sins in our lives, that the only, the only reason we stop them is because of our death. Don't let death be the only reason you stop your, your, your secret sins because then you won't be saved. You will not be saved. Number four, success cannot come where there is sin. God's not going to grant your prayers if you're holding on to secret sin. God let go of that stuff. On, on the ladder to heaven, Or were you trying to squeeze through a really tight, narrow door? All that baggage and all that stuff got to go. <laughs> you got to let it go. You know, sometimes they say, you can't take nothing in the grave with you. All that sin and stuff on you, you can't, you can't take that with you. Let that stuff go. If everything that God has to offer is greater and better than any of that stuff anyway. <clears throat> Number five. There is corporate accountability for sin. In this case, the whole nation of Israel was accountable for Achan's sin. And so, we as a church body, if we know about our sin, we are accountable to God for it. And we will not be blessed if we don't deal with it. You know, a lot of times, <laughs> we know somebody's doing something wrong as a church, and we just, we, we just don't want to deal with it. We just, <laughs> you know, we talk about it among ourselves, but we don't deal with it. And God is calling us as, as a corporate body to deal with it. Or we won't receive the blessings that, as a church, that we want from God. And the children of Israel had to deal with Achan's sin quickly and swiftly. Or the nation was cursed. And number six, we are saved by grace through faith. And that faith is in the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ. So Bev, come on up here and give me that song. Then I got two appeals for you. 
Bible says, if you had not saved me, I don't know where I would be. Through storm clouds, through dark clouds, the sun will always shine through. And it says, I'm grateful.
my first appeal is going to be, if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice who's not given your life to Jesus Christ, and you want to do so now, or if you're searching for a church home, I might ask you to come to the front now. If there's anyone here, either one, you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, or you're searching for a church home, I'm going to ask you to come to the front now. My second appeal is, and the Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So I'm going to simply ask you today, do you want to be a new creature in Christ? If so, I want you to stand. Just stand. If you want to be a new creature in Christ, Secondly, if you believe in the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ to save you, I want you to move quietly out of your seats and come to the front. And the ushers are going to pass out to you a token of truth. And I want you to take this token of truth home with you. It has a little glue dot on it. And I want you to place it anywhere in your house that you will be reminded daily that it is the blood of Jesus that saves you. more in the back if you want to take one home with you. But just put it anywhere in your house that you'll daily see it and be reminded that it is his blood, Jesus' blood that saves. Others can see you in us and be drawn to begin a journey with you, God, and know that you are our only hope and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.
I just came to glorify I just... 